I want to introduce you guys all this morning to a, a new teaching series that's all about the life of a guy named David. You might know him as King David in the Old Testament. Uh, David's lineage is very, very important to us. And the reason is, is that when you start with David and you go down 14 generations, then you find this guy named Jesus Christ, the Messiah. He was from David's lineage. He came from his seed, which was a fulfillment of prophecies and scriptures that the one and only, the final king and Messiah of the world would come from David's lineage. And so he has a very special place in the heart of us as believers in Jesus Christ. David's life is a great example of triumph. David was an imperfect man, but he stayed the course and God chose to change the course of history through him. And interestingly, the first king of Israel was a guy named Saul. And we're going to learn about David the king here in the coming weeks. But this guy named Saul that preceded David as king, it was interesting because both men were imperfect. And both men made missteps in their life. However, God chose to do something very interesting and different between the two. You see, King Saul had God's favor for a period of his life, but then that was lifted God's anointing upon King Saul was lifted. However, David made his missteps. But God's hand of favor was not lifted off of David's life for one primary reason. That is that David had a truly repentant heart. And he felt the hurt and the disappointment that God feels when we sin and misstep. And God chose to, to redeem that situation because of David's heart. I think it's common for believers to look at um, David's life, like the latter part of his life from kingship on, and the legacy that he left, but it's not as common for us to really study and dig into what was David like, what was the early part of his life like, you know, the before the kingship days. Before we dive in, I do want to invite you um, to journey with us as a church body, we're going to read together through 1 Samuel and 2 Samuel, and that's where you really find the story of David. And we're going to do a 31-day reading together, and there's a, a, a reading plan. If you go to the website or if you have the app, it's really easy. Just go to the website, novationchurch.org, click on the current sermon series, and right there in blue text is going to be this reading plan. It's 31 days. It's going to take us through together as a church body reading 1 Samuel and 2 Samuel, and it's going to be uh, good to, to really understand the scriptures along as we teach them as a pastoral team to you. So I would invite you to do that. It's a simple reading plan, and it's going to just enrich us as a church body together. So let's, let's start with our key scripture today. It comes in 1 Samuel 16. And this, this scripture is um, the prophet Samuel, and he was talking to King Saul. Okay, and this is how this conversation goes. So I'm going to read it to you in 1 Samuel 16. It says, Let our Lord command his servants here to search for someone who can play the lyre. He will play when the evil spirit from God comes upon you, Saul, and you will feel better. So Saul said to his attendants, Find someone that plays well and bring him to me. One of the servants answered, I have seen the son of Jesse of Bethlehem. There's a son of his that knows how to play the lyre. And he's a brave man, and he's a warrior. He speaks well, and he's a fine-looking man, and the Lord is with him. Then Saul sent messengers to Jesse and said, Send me your son David, who is with the sheep. 
So Jesse took a donkey loaded with bread, a skin of wine, and a young goat, and sent them with his son David to Saul. Now there's two key points in that scripture that I need to bring out to your, to your attention real quickly. And first of all, it says that he was with the sheep, which means that he was a shepherd. Okay, and that's a very important piece of what we're going to talk about today, was David the shepherd. And the second thing I want to point out there is, is that it says the Lord was with him. Okay, now the difference between somebody who's really good at music and who's a brave man and a warrior and is a good-looking guy and speaks well, the difference is that the Lord was with him. And that's the difference between him being another, you know, Hollywood celebrity and being somebody who will be used for good and transform the likeness of mankind for eternity to come. Okay, so what I thought we'd do today was instead of me just standing up here teaching you about the life of David and and walking through these points, I posed some questions that I think are going to be really valuable for us to ponder, that I think are going to encourage us and and guide us to a more fruitful and prosperous life based on David's life and his experiences. We're going to start with this question. Are you focused today on being highly qualified or high quality? The, The former being highly qualified seems to be a requisite in today's society for being successful. If you're highly qualified, you have a good chance of doing something great. But what we're going to see from the scriptures today is is that it's not all about being highly qualified. It's about being high quality. And the truth is, David, he wasn't highly qualified, but he was high quality. And God changed the kingdom of Israel and, frankly, the eternity of the world through him. See, David was a shepherd, and much like many shepherds in the Bible, through whom God chose to do amazing, unthinkable things, he also did that through David, the shepherd. And if you, if you pay careful attention, I think you're going to see that God uses unlikely people to do unthinkable things all the time. And why is that? How come God chooses to use unlikely people to do unthinkable things? Well, I think here's the key to this, in my opinion, okay? This is just my opinion. Is that when you, when a person, you or I, gain knowledge of a calling or a qualification or a positioning in life, let's call it, we taste success, our minds begin to to shift into a very dangerous place. Look at at the, the disciples of Jesus, for instance, When they realized that they were, in fact, following the Messiah, the King of kings and the Lord of lords, when they realized that they would, in fact, have their name placed in the book of eternity, that is, saved and will spend eternity with God in the kingdom of heaven, what started to happen to them? They started to shift and ask questions that were were focused strictly on worldly things, like, for instance, okay, who's going to be first in the kingdom? Who's going to be second in the kingdom? Who's going to be last? And of course, they were rebuked and reprimanded for that. See, they, they knew where their positioning was going to be, and the, okay, success had already been achieved, so they start to turn to worldly things and worldly motives. I think a lot of us, once we embrace success, our minds can begin to go to unhealthy places. Look at King Solomon, who was David's son, one of the greatest kings in the history of the world. When he was embarking upon his kingship journey, he asked the Lord for wisdom. Wisdom to do what? To guide and govern over the people of Israel. 
And God used that yearning for him to have wisdom to apply to do well unto the people. But at some point in time, as Saul you know, carried on and was positioned long enough in this place of power, he began to disconnect his mind and his heart from that, that yearning for that wisdom. And he started to make unhealthy decisions. He became numbed by his power. God can do amazing things through humble shepherds like David, unlikely, unqualified people who allow God to do his thing. You know, I imagine that shepherding's like a pretty messy job. I mean, if you've ever been around sheep, they, they got this like thick curly wool stuff that collects all this gnarly stuff. I've never sheared a sheep. If you have, I don't know what that's like, but okay, it's probably not the cleanest um, occupation in the world. If you're like one of those clean neat fricks, it's probably not the job for you. But I would liken this to like a modern day custodian or, or a janitor or something like that. Because a custodian is, is somebody that really cleans up and organizes after others who probably have little consideration for their surroundings. A, a good custodian or a janitor is somebody that's not really above any job. They're able and capable and willing to do pretty much anything that's asked of them. I mean, in our organization, and I think many of your organizations, having these kind of people are amazing to have because you ask them to do something, and they're like, yeah, just, you know, I'll take care of it. And I think that mindset is similar to that of a shepherd. They're, they're not interacting with a lot of people. They're watching over sheep who can't communicate with them. It's dirty. They're outside all the time. They're chasing down sheep and defending against wolves and lions and all these different things. And God chooses to take somebody that is not jaded by society or their position in society and do unthinkable things through them. And so when we talk about high quality, man tends to look on the outside while God chooses to look at the heart. God looks at the inside of a human being and he determines what will happen from there. 1 Samuel 16, just a few verses later, it says that, and it came to pass, for man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. When God choose, chose to anoint David to become king, he wasn't necessarily looking for somebody that had political power or that was the leader of an army. He was looking somebody for somebody that had a heart to follow him and pursue his ways. So you might be asking yourself today, well, Brian, would God choose to do something unthinkable through me? Well, I think the answer to that question is, what is today, what is the condition of your heart? What is the condition of your heart and your emotions and your will? And what kind of conversations are you having with God? And what kind of experiences are you having with your community, both in the church and outside the church walls? Scripture says that David was a man after God's heart. That's how many of us connect with David. It says he was a man after God's own heart. And so in 1 Samuel 24, this is King Saul engaging with David at a point when David was running from him. And, and, and Saul ends up within the grasp of David and has this conversation. I'll read it to you. He said to David, Saul said to David, you are more righteous than I, for you have dealt well with me while I have dealt wickedly with you. You have declared today that you have done good to me, that the Lord delivered me into your hand, and yet you did not kill me. For if a man finds his enemy, will he let him go away safely? May the Lord therefore reward you 
with good in return for what you have done to me this day. Now what you see here is sort of just a little microcosm, a little sample of David's not letting his character become corrupted. Okay, which really defined his life, especially up until he became the king. I think many of us are aware of some of the things that happened when he was a king and some of the sin and the poor decisions. But for the most part, his life up to that point was not marked by questionable character choices. See, David didn't just jump off the deep end and start you know, doing drugs and hurting people to mask the torment that he was experiencing in life. I mean, at one point he did fake insanity, but I think that was like a tactile play to get himself out of a pickle, right? A lot of us might do something similar to that. I don't think he hurt anybody in that situation, but he didn't curse God, and he didn't renounce his faith in God. He faithfully believed that God would handle his business through him. And I want to share with you a few other examples of these choices that David would make that indicated the positioning of his heart, making right and wise choices. We just read that scripture of Saul engaging with David at a point when David was fleeing from him for his life. God delivers Saul into the hands of David, unbeknownst to Saul. And Saul, you know, they're in a cave, I believe, and Saul's like, David, is that you? He's like, yeah, surprise. You know, and he's got his knife, his sword and everything right there. I mean, he could take in Saul's life. But this happened twice in, the, in this 15-year span of time when Saul was pursuing after David to kill him. And David, two times, chooses not to kill Saul for his own personal gain. You see, David was anointed king by the prophet Samuel. And this is 15 years of torment, and he has a chance to take Saul's life twice and step into that position as king, right? It's like you, it's like you blackmailing your coworker or whatever you have to do so that you can get that position that you've been wanting in your job, okay? But this is like at a really high level. We're talking about kings here. So two times that happens. Now, once Saul loses his life, King Saul, the first king, loses his life, his cousin Abner, a guy named Abner, is the leader of his army. He's the leader of Saul's army, the army of Israel. And he chooses, now that Saul's gone, he chooses to overstep God's decision or God's choice to put David into a position of kingship. And he says, I think I'm going to appoint Saul's son, Ish-bosheth, we'll call him Ish so I don't butcher that every time I say it, okay? He decides to put Saul's son, Ish, into a place of kingship instead. So instead of going after Abner at that point and saying, Abner, what are you doing? Don't, don't you know that I'm called to be king? No, he lets this take its course. And he humbly submits to, you know, what's going on around him. What's more, a little while later, Abner the king of the army of Israel, Saul's cousin, gets fed up with Ish, Saul's son. He says, you know what? Heck with you, I'm out. I'm going to go over to the good side. So he goes over to join David's side, and this leaves this guy, Ish, fully exposed. Okay, the leader and the commander of the army is gone. David is now the king of, Ju of Ju uh, Judah, which is just south, or Judea, which is just south of Israel. So he's got this little army. It would be very easy for David to step in and overtake Ish at that point in time. But again, he chooses not to. And this is, a very key, um, this is a very key example. This is a very important thing that happens to describe the heart of David. Because he promised Saul, when he had Saul within his grasp, Saul pleaded with him and said, you are a good man. He said, promise me you will never cut off my family. That you will never 
cut off my name from the history of mankind. And David says to him, I promise. And so by not going after Ish and taking his rightful position of this throne of the king of Israel, he says, I will honor my word. He was a man of integrity and high character. So what's more? These men that, that take the life, so Ish eventually loses his life. These guys go and execute him, and then they come to David, and they're like, look, David, look what we did for you. And David's not a happy camper. He actually has these guys executed because they st- stepped in and did a dirty thing, took down the king of Israel, and it wasn't in God's timing. I want you to understand the heart of David, okay, because that's what we're talking about here. The heart of a man who was after God's own heart. He's not willing to accept the wickedness of those who seek to kill God's anointed. So he has them put to death. So to be a man after God's heart, I think it's safe to say you've got to be patient with God. Being patient with God means that you don't get too far out ahead of God and what he wants for your life. Maybe today you're trying to force your will or your timing into a situation that's not God's will or timing. There's a saying in business, it's a very common quote that you hear a lot of successful business people say, that that is, the greatest deals were the deals that we said no to. Some of the greatest deals that happened in the marketplace are the ones that didn't happen. They weren't right. It just didn't feel right. It wasn't God's plan. And you usually don't discover that till after it's all over. So they said no. Discretion, patience, restraint helped David successfully take his position on the throne and it will help you and I as well live a fruitful and prosperous life. So next, ponder, are you ascribing to the belief that God is against you? Are you ascribing to the belief that God is against you? And if you're one thinking that today, please listen very carefully. You cannot believe that lie. If you can sit there and tell me that we live in such a beautiful country with this unbridled freedom, you're part of this incredible church and these amazing group of believers, and you can honestly tell me that God is against us? This country was founded on godly principles, and we are richly blessed. And I don't care what side of the aisle you stand on. That is a fact. You and I, we're richly blessed today. And if that's not evidence that God is for you, look in Romans 8.31. Paul wrote to the church at Rome, what shall we say then to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? Who can be against us? I'm going to tell you one. There's one for sure, and he's the enemy of darkness. But Jesus came to the earth and died, and he rose from the grave to win victory over darkness, and to make sure that you know that he loves you and that he cares for you. And in fact, he says that God says that he will never leave you or forsake you as long as you believe and confess that Jesus Christ is Lord of your life. So what happened to you in your life that made you feel this way, that God is against you? What is it that somebody else has that you don't have that makes you feel this way. John 15, 5, Jesus said, I am the branches, or excuse me, I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, 
you will bear much fruit. But apart from me, you can do nothing. Listen, don't ascribe to this thought that God is against you. Ascribe to the belief that you will bear much fruit. And that many of you, most of you already have. By the little simple acts of kindness and generosity and love that you show somebody that is otherwise undeserved. Friends, I, I think we all need to wise up and stop asking questions that cannot be answered. And start asking God to reveal to each of us the good works that he destined for us to do. See, David didn't ascribe to this false belief that God was against him. David believed God was for him and that he would show him the way. The way to righteousness, the way to fruitfulness, the way to a lineage that would eventually lead to the Messiah. And he was ultimately richly rewarded for his faithfulness. So next, answer this question. Are you weary of waiting today? Have you started to get kind of weary of waiting for the fruits to happen in your life, for the good things, for the promotion? I, I want to just take a moment to highlight for you the periods of waiting associated with some of the most prominent and prolific people in the Bible. Check this out. Jesus waited 30 years to begin his ministry. And in fact, it was very short. As most of you know, he died somewhere around the age of 33. So he had roughly three years of his ministry. So 10% of his life was in ministry. 30 years was the preparation and waiting. Moses spent 40 years in the desert. 40 years in the desert. God promised Abram and Sarai that they would have a child. They had to wait 25 years for that to come to fruition. God promised Noah there would be a flood. That was a long time coming for him. God made Jacob wait 14 years to get the wife that he wanted. Took me 30. Thankful I waited. Thank you, sweetheart, for tracking me down. <laughs> Joseph had to wait a considerable amount of time to see his friends and family. And in fact, he never made it home well, his dead body did. His family carried his bones back to his hometown. The Israelites had to wait 430 years in Egypt before returning to the promised land. And for 2,000 plus years, the saints, you and I, have been waiting for the return of the Messiah. And he will return. And all who believe in him, it says, shall not perish, but shall have everlasting life. Forever with unlimited Chick-fil-A and barbecue briskets and no more dyeing your hair or shaving and doing laundry. Hey, how about that? No more midterms or finals. No more getting fired. No more cancer. No more Cubs or Dodgers fans. <laughs> Scott, when you, when you listen to this, just want to keep my job intact, so. I would ask you, are, is, is your name in the book of life today? Are you 100% sure that you will one day be alongside God and his son Jesus and all who believed in him for all eternity? And if you can't say 100% yes, then it's time to believe today and accept Jesus as your Lord and Savior. See, David's ascent to kingship wasn't some Disney fairy tale. Like, he didn't just wake up one day from being a shepherd and just thrust into this position as a king. But it was 
a Cinderella story. And what I mean by that is he had to wait a long time to receive his crown. And it was worth the wait. Some of you think today that God's just going to toss you into a microwave and you're just going to come out like this transformed person. Some of you think that God's going to put you into a, a physical microwave and you're going to come out healed. Some of y'all are ready to push that like two-minute express cook button and get the promotion that you were deserving like yesterday. It doesn't work that way. See, God prepares his people in a crock pot, not a microwave. He lets us marinate and slow cook over time so that he knows and so that we know that our heart is in the right place, that we're truly ready, and that when he gives us that promotion, we're not just going to fumble it all away. That's the worst thing that can happen. Why? Well, think about it. Who puts something into a microwave and expects it to taste better than it does on a rotisserie or a smoker or a crock pot? It doesn't. I mean, maybe you're one of those people that likes those hungry man dishes, but every time I try to eat one of them, I end up a hungry man at the end of the deal because they're just nasty. I'm not saying all microwave food is bad, but by and large. See, our approach should not, when am I going to get what I want, or when am I going to get what I think God has promised me? The question should be, how can I obey God's commands And how can I serve as an ambassador of the kingdom of heaven for however long and in whatever ways that God wants me to serve? It's a much better question. 1 Peter 2 says, For what credit is there if, when you sin and you're harshly treated, you endure that with patience? What credit is there for that? He says, however, if when you do what is right and you suffer for it and you patiently endure it, this finds favor with God. If we keep pursuing God, if we keep asking him what and when, we'll begin to understand that God's purpose for each of one of us remains exactly the same, no matter what and when and how. And that purpose is to bring glory to him no matter where you're at, no matter what circumstances you find yourself in. And then he takes great pride in showing you and showing us what we were made to do. Guys, you may not want to hear this, but waiting on God is good. It's really good because it helps us develop patience and endurance. It calls upon us to exercise faith in God's promises based on what he says, not on what we see or feel. Waiting enhances our appetite for the good things that God has in store. Waiting requires us to deny our flesh's desire to cut corners and leapfrog into that place of immediate gratification. And waiting is one of the ways that we take up our cross and follow Jesus. I think some of us are standing here at the stove, staring at the pot, waiting for the water of life to start to boil. And I think we need to go buy a thermometer from the store with a little alarm on it so we can stick it in there because many of us are missing opportunities while we're waiting for the water to boil. We're missing opportunities that God has right in front of us to make an impact. We're, we're staring at the water. We're, we're watching the paint dry. Well, David wasn't staring at the water. And so while you're waiting on the Lord, do what David did and embrace your place. Embrace the place that God has you right now, and that is the single best thing you can do to combat your weariness 
of waiting. 1 Samuel 22 says, David left Gath and escaped to the cave of Adullam. That's where he went to hide from King Saul. When his brothers and his father's household heard about it, they went down to him there. All those who were in distress or in debt or discontented gathered around him, and he became their commander. About 400 men were with him there. See, David spent 15 years herding sheep and running from King Saul and fighting in battles in the armies of other nations and leading a band of misfits. But David did more than just flee while he waited. It says in chapter 23, he delivered the people of Keilah. It says in chapter 30, he did good to the people of Judah. He influenced and watched over many people who were exiled and became their shepherd. I mean, it's bad enough when you have to spend your life running from your enemy, but how much worse would you feel if you know that the greatest prophet of your era prophesied and came to you, said, congratulations, you're going to be the king of Israel. You're going to be the, I don't even know if I'd say the president of the U.S., that's probably not a good thing to be anymore, but you're going to be the king of Israel. Happy day. And all you end up as is the king of the rejects. Most of us would feel ashamed and belittled, leading a bunch of outcasts. But David let go and let God lead him, even when it wasn't what he had hoped for. So then later, as I mentioned before, once Saul dies, David's probably thinking to himself, all right, here's my time. Fifteen years later, my chance to become king. So then this guy Ish comes into position of kingship. And you can imagine David's probably thinking to himself, God, are you kidding me? Are you just toying with me right now? And guess what? He had to wait another seven years, 22 years in total of waiting to become king of Israel to fulfill that prophecy and that promise that he would one day become the king. And looking at David's response to all this, he actually honors a principle that was laid down centuries later by the apostle Paul. In Romans 13, Paul wrote, every person is to be subject to the governing authorities. For there is no authority except from God, and those which exist are established by God. Therefore, whoever resists authority has opposed the ordinance of God, and they who have opposed will receive condemnation upon themselves. So David is a man of his word. He promised Saul that he would not cut off his descendants, and he honored that promise. I think people of today make all sorts of knee-jerk reactions when they discover that they weren't one of the lucky ones. We all do it in some degree. We throw pity parties, we start freaking out, just like Esau did, just like Saul did. But don't freak out. Embrace your place and let God work for good in your life exactly where you are in your current circumstances. And last, ponder the question, are you prepared for your promotion? Are you preparing on an ongoing basis for your promotion, whatever it is that God is going to take you and give you and bless you with. Matthew 25, Jesus in the parable was talking about, um, well, he, well, he says this, he says, his master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful with a few things. You have been faithful with a few things, little things, small stuff. So now I'm gonna put you in charge of many things. Congratulations. Now, come and share in the master's happiness. 
Are you ready for your promotion? Because if so, there's going to need to be some preparation taking place. And it might not feel like you want it to feel, or it might take you out of your comfort zone a little bit. I think some of us need to stop praying for a position of authority and influence if you're not willing to do the training that it takes to get there. No great fighter or champion or star athlete or anybody ever got to that place, you know, that the top of the mountain, that pinnacle, without preparation, training, diet, practice. Tom Brady doesn't win six Super Bowls without a lot of intense preparation and practice. I think a lot of us have read a little bit about what he does to prepare. Mike Tyson, Muhammad Ali, the greatest boxers of all times, rigorously training year in, week after week, day after day, to become champions. Great actors rehearse their lines and their roles over and over and over, and many of them are willing to just transform their physical image for the sake of their roles. Donald Trump practices his comb over and his hairspray two to three, I'm sure four times a day, to make it look that good. I, I find it, all jokes aside, I, I find it interesting that every time David remembered that he was a shepherd, things went pretty well for him. But every time that he remembered he was a king and thought that he deserved it, things started to go awry. We've got to spend time preparing our hearts, y'all. And dads, I want to ask you a question today. Are you spending time preparing the hearts of your children? Because the single most important thing and responsibility that you have in your life is to prepare the hearts of your spouse and your children to follow Jesus and to become like him. Some of you are in a battle right now. But God's going to see you through to victory just like he did David against Goliath, against Saul, and against the greatest armies of the world. Some of you have an enemy right now that is making your life a living hell. But it's all a part of your preparation for kingship. We all have moments in our lives, opportunities to be something special, to be something great. But be ready for God to propose to you the hour and the time. See, he's the one that determines the roles that we will play. But he does it in his perfect timing. And he wants obedience first. He wants you to trust him in this season of life that you're in. And he wants you to trust him, that he's gonna give you his strength and his character so that he can increase your capacity to carry greater batons and to have greater responsibilities than you do today. Every one of you will receive a crown. Your now is not never and your current circumstance is not the final outcome. You are like David. Wherever you are today, you're not there by accident. God is doing a work in you so that he can do a work through you. He's preparing you in the place that you are so that he can take you to the place he wants you to be. We're going to take a few moments. We're going to honor our dads. And so I want to ask that if you are a dad or a grandparent or a stepfather, I want you to get up out of your seat and I want you to come forward. I want everybody else to show appreciation and gratitude for these wonderful men. Come on forward. Come on up.
We, uh, dads, I talked about your responsibility to prepare those around you for eternity. And metaphorically, you guys are the light shining for your family, for your workplace, and for your community. So we got you these cool little little lights. They're LED lights. And on the side, it says strong and courageous. And it refers to Joshua 1.9. So if you guys would take this, it's kind of heavy, pass it down. We have a little gift for each of you. And as they're doing that, church family, I, I want you to extend your arms and I want to pray a blessing over these men. Would you pray with me? God, the gifts and the sacrifices of a father are unlike really any other sacrifices. Certainly we appreciate these mothers as well, but God, you have called these men to be examples for their family, to be examples of of strength and courage and integrity. Lord, to be vulnerable when times require vulnerability. Lord, these are not perfect men, but they're doing their very best and they've done their very best, some in the latter season of life. And God, we want to know them to know today how deeply they are loved, that you are pleased with them despite their imperfections. And we pray a blessing of steadfastness, of strength, of God's character and courage for each of you men, that you would stay the course, trust God in his timing. When you're weary, when you're unsure, and when you're doubting, keep believing. Keep asking God what and when and how waiting on his perfect timing. We love you. We thank you for the rocks that you are in our lives and for Novation Church, for all of the sacrifices, for the hard work, for the scars that you wear every day. We love you and we ask God to continue to remain in favor with you, that you would know his love and be encouraged today, that you have a special blessing and a special place in the kingdom for this work that you have done. We love you, dads, and we thank you so much today. We love you. Amen.